One, never use a metaphor, simile, or other figure of speech which you are used to seeing in print. Two, never use a long word where a short one will do. Three, if it is possible to cut a word out, always cut it out. Four, never use the passive where you can use the active. Five, never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. Six, break any of these rules sooner than say anything outright barbarous. George Orwell, Essay, Politics in the English Language. I'm Sebastian Marshall, and this show, the Ultra Working Podcast, is primarily for you if you're not a dedicated writer, but you do write a little from time to time and want your writing to be better. I've got a little acronym that I use to do a diagnostic when writing is 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 letting me down, and it's also uh, a set of kind of sub-skills that you could study will point to some, some resources and some classics in the field. The acronym ACM, Audience Content Mechanics, right? So very briefly, audience is who you're writing to. Content and mechanics, audience is a word a lot of people use. Content and mechanics are my own phrase. You can't Google them, there'll be nothing there. I separate out the content of writing, which is like, what are the thoughts we're trying to get across and the mechanics, which are choosing the words and arranging them nicely and such, right? Choosing the paragraphs and so on and so forth, right? So whenever I'm struggling with a piece of writing or when I'm teaching this, I teach people ACM, right? If you're having a hard time doing a piece of writing, whether it's creative writing or nonfiction, a very technical guide or something that's just read for enjoyment, do you know who the audience is? What's the content, the core ideas you're trying to get across? And then how are you doing mechanically? Are you handling the mechanics well enough to get those ideas, those content ideas across? Um, we're going to go in the reverse order um, because that's the easier one to understand. Mechanics are what most people that focus on talking about writing and teaching writing, they, they tend to focus on the mechanics first. So George Orwell's never use a long word where a short one will do is an example of mechanics, right? Um, I believe that excellent mechanics are very easily learnable. Um, there's some, you know, opinionated things about, hey, I like it this way or that way. Um, but, you know, you can, you can really learn good mechanics um, through a little bit of study and then, and then practice. So here's a macro one from a, a guy named Gary Provost. Um, and I thought this was just a beautiful illustration of mechanics. Quoting him, quote, this sentence has five words. Here are five more words. Five word sentences are fine, but several together become monotonous. Listen to what is happening. The writing is getting boring. The sound of it drones. It's like a stuck record. The ear demands some variety. Now listen, I vary the sentence length and I create music. Music. The writing sings. It has a pleasant rhythm, a lilt, a harmony. I use short sentences and I use sentences of medium length. And sometimes, when I am certain the reader is rested, I will engage him with a sentence of considerable length, a sentence that burns with energy and builds with all the impetus of a crescendo, the roll of the drums, the crash of the cymbals, sounds that say, listen to this, it is important. I think that's pretty cool, right? So you read that and you're like, okay, I need to vary sentence length. If you're just like five words, 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 drones, people get bored. So you vary it, short, medium, and then when the reader is rested, a sentence of considerable length. Okay, pretty cool. 
Um, my favorite work of uh, literary criticism of all time is is from a uh, Greek originated Roman Empire times writer named Longinus. He wrote a work called On the Sublime. I want to say off memory something like 300 AD. Um, he wrote that. Whole books of beauty. Um, I often read the 1890 uh, Victorian translation of it, which can be a bit of a slog. It's in Victorian English, but I like it. You pick up kind of two cultures uh, from reading it that way. I'm sure there's some other translations. Um, the whole thing's a beauty. I'll pick out a moderate interestingness thing. He has some very opinionated things to say. Um, might be worth exploring at a later date, but this one is fairly straightforward. And um, I haven't seen anyone else say this one, so it's kind of interesting. Here's Longinus. He says, quote, the use of mean words has also a strong tendency to degrade a lofty passage. Thus, in that description of the storm in Herodotus, the matter is admirable, but some of the words admitted are beneath the dignity of the subject, such as perhaps the seas having seethed, because the ill-sounding phrase having seethed detracts much from its impressiveness, or when he says the wind wore away and those who clung around the wreck met with an unwelcome end. Warway is ignoble and vulgar, and unwelcome, inadequate to the extent of the disaster. End quote. So, you know, there's things like that, right? So, you know, he's talking about the valence, if you want to use a modern word for it, he's talking about the valence of words, and using a, a, a vulgar negative valence word, um, you know, um, like simple negative valence um, and common takes away from a passage that was otherwise lofty. Seems correct. His whole book of stuff like that. It's kind of neat. I like it a lot. Um, and yeah, you know, you can go up and down. George Orwell's Politics and English Language is one of my favorite essays and one of my, my first introductions I give people to great writing. Um, you know, Orwell in there quotes how like modern English is becoming a disaster and it's gotten even worse since Orwell's time. Um, and, you know, so he quotes from, I believe it was Ecclesiastes um, in the Bible, and then he says, and here's how it would be written in modern English. So, so here's Orwell quote. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Here it is in modern English. Objective considerations of contemporary phenomena compels the conclusion that success or failure in competitive activities exhibits no tendency to be commensurate with innate capacity, but that a considerable element of the unpredictable must invariably be taken into account, end quote. So it's like kind of funny. Um, so, you know, all these, these people are going through things like, you know, poetics um, and, and various style choices, word choices, length, rhythm and stuff like that. Uh, the mechanics can be read and understood. Also mechanics, right? Also mechanics are like, sometimes you can ask something in a second person or you could write it in the first person or you could write it in the third person, right? So, you know, if you saw a beautiful sunrise on July 1st, 1995, right? You could say, you know, I saw the most beautiful sunrise of my life on July 1st, 1995. Or you could say, do you remember the most beautiful sunrise you've ever seen. I do. It was on the 1st of July in 1995. Or you could even make that third person. You could say, some sunsets are so beautiful that no one could argue as to their beauty. And perhaps the most beautiful at all was seen in Florida on 1 July 1995.
So, you know, choosing first person, second person, third person, sometimes phrasing something as a question, things like that. There's close third person, omniscient third person. These are like mechanics. There's a lot of them. And you can kind of just like add to your quote unquote bag of tricks um, over time to be able to express your ideas. I think it's very frustrating for some people that are really cool thinkers that like think a lot of cool thoughts and want to share those that sometimes they don't have like the techniques to share the thoughts like I have this idea but like I'm unable to get it across it's kind of like if you have an idea of a beautiful painting but then you, you're unable to make the brush strokes and mix the paint and stuff to be able to actually make the, the painting look like how it looks in your mind that kind of sucks so you study the mechanics to get it down now mechanics are the easiest element of writing I think to study and teach because you could just take a sentence and look at it and say like mechanically what's going on here and, and then you can practice it the content side of things is, I think, arguably the hardest to teach or instruct on, right? So that's like having clear thoughts and like good thoughts that you want to get across to people, right? Whereas mechanics can be analyzed. You can look at a piece of great writing and ask what it's doing right. You can look at writing that kind of sucks and ask why it's bad. Content is a little harder. I mean, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's easy if you're writing a really non-fiction recommendation report you know we should open our first international office in singapore because it has good infrastructure makes it easy to do business all right that's straightforward it's often not that simple though um and there's a couple of reasons why sometimes it's because you're like vaguely in a direction sometimes it's like you're vaguely in a direction um and that's quite hard um, where it's like, I know there's something here that we should pay attention to related to project management. That's a hard one. And there's another one that's hard when your goal is not like a linear logical sentence, but it's like, you know, a feeling or an experience. And I think that's okay to not have formally clarified if it's a feeling or experience, but I think it can help a lot. So one of my favorite books, maybe my favorite book, is by a Japanese physician, Junichi Saga, called Memories of Silk and Straw. And here's the description on Amazon. I, I edited it down slightly, but, but roughly this. Over 50 reminiscence, quote, over 50 reminiscences of pre-modern Japan, illustrations of a way of life that has virtually disappeared. This is a collective biography based on interviews taped by a small town doctor recording the lives of a cotton dyer, blacksmith, tofu maker, Undertaker, Carter, tenant, tenant farmer, local gangster, casual laborer, horse meat butcher, magistrate's wife, apprentice geisha, rice merchant, thatcher, carpenter, midwife, country hangman, pawnbroker, draper, fisherman, hairdresser, servant, charcoal burner, and so on. Over 50 in all. Their memories are all related to a lakeside town in its rural suburbs northeast of Tokyo. Born in the early years of this century, these people have, that was last century, these people have both seen the old Japan and lived through the changes brought about by modernization and the onset of affluence. In a real sense, they provide the sole surviving links with a feudal way of life and its attitudes which have altered in the space of 50 years or so beyond recognition. Through plain spoken anecdote, their voices by turns amuse, nostalgic, disturbed, but unsensational. They describe their youth in a tougher world where poverty was commonplace, where unwanted children were sometimes quote unquote thinned out at birth, where poor families cooked out of doors, and fishermen in summer went almost naked. By saving their memories for posterity, the author hoped to close, just a fraction, the gap in perce perception between a traditional past and the Japan we know today. Yeah, how would you sum that up? Very, very difficult, right? But you see some elements in there. Save their memories for posterity. Close just a fraction of the gap in perception between a traditional past and the Japan we know today. Nostalgia, right? So when it's more 
you know, feeling or, or instinct based, I still think it's useful to kind of clarify that. And then you're just telling these people stories, which is, is fairly straightforward. But, you know, what do you include if you if you spend 20 hours with somebody taping a lot about their life and you're going to write up 10 pages about it? Like, like, what do you include and what do you not include? And, you know, the connection between what was life like, what was their profession like, how did it differ from today? Saga keeps coming back to again and again and again. Because, like, some of these people, you know, grew up in, 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 in very feudal, like, conditions still and then, like, lived to see the modern information age just barely. So really quite incredible. Um, and I think it's also okay to, to start a piece of writing with just, like, a vague idea of, like, there's something here and I want to cover it, but it's kind of dangerous. I, I remember... I wrote a, a piece, a very long piece, about the origins of World War One. You know, like Gavrilo Princip shot Franz Ferdinand, and then there were the ultimatums by one country or another, and so on and so forth. Most people know that. Most people don't know about the Ottoman theater of the war. So Churchill, who was Lord of the Admiralty, ordered the, ordered the Ottoman warships confiscated, and that caused the Turks to enter the war on the, the opposite side. And like, I think it was like a pretty epic piece, but I was like thousands and thousands of words into it. I think I was like eight, 9,000 words into it, and I realized, damn it, I don't have a point I want to get across. You know, World War One was incredibly complex and complicated, and not having a single focusing thing, I kind of like was meandering all over the place, and like I couldn't figure out how to end the piece or what the point of it was or how to edit it, which like was really unfortunate and unpleasant. So you got to be careful, especially if a piece is a longer piece on that, like, hey, I'm following my intuition. There's something here. At some point, you want to be like, hey, wait, 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 what's the content that I want to get across here? What are the core ideas I want to get across here? Um, and I have three things that can be tried. Here, if you're not sure about the content. First one's a German expression. It's a question in German. Vorauf kommt es eisenlich an. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Vorauf kommt es eisenlich an. Uh, it roughly translates to what is the heart of the matter? Like you're asking what your writing's about. Like sometimes I literally just ask the German word Vorauf when I'm unsure of what or why I'm writing. Right? Like, so like hey, what's, the, what's the point of this? Right? Um, I like the German better though. What is the heart of the matter? Like what's the real heart of it? Not the point, but like the heart of it, right? Because the point could be you know, we've got a job add up for a role, but the heart of it is like, hey, we want somebody with these like two things that are often intention and opposed, and we want somebody that has both of these attributes that sometimes you don't see in one person. That's the heart of it, not we're hiring somebody for this role, right? If you're writing a job description, right? Um, okay, next up. Sometimes two ideas are intention. Identifying that tension and stating it outright can often be the core idea behind a piece. So whenever you're like trying to show some things that are intention, uh, oftentimes that's the core idea the core content um, and like a lot of not all but a lot of pieces are like this right so something like statistics is very boring and confusing and useless until you gain some proficiency and then it's very interesting clear and useful that sort of thing so that's like really easy so that's like okay then the rest of the piece is like statistical concept why it's boring confusing useless until you get it then what it's like to get it and then why it's useful clear and interesting after you get it like cool that's like a very easy piece right um, once you understand that that's what it's about and then if you're going for a general feeling or experience um, type thing, uh, just you simply note that down. And I believe that's what Dr. Saga was doing in Memories of Silk and Straw. Um, just noting that the primary thing, right? So, you know, he just as easily could have made his book about the intergenerational relationships. It's not. Um, there's passing references to like, I farm a little makeshift fishing net. And now my son is a, you know, my grandson is a corporate executive at Toyota. There's a little bit of that in the book, but it's not the theme of the book. But he very easily could have made it the theme of the book. Um, it's more about just like, what was it like? 
back in the day. Like people are forgetting. Like and and by the way, it's like it's a crazy read. It's a crazy read because Japan was like still coming out of like the Iron Age. You know, I know Meiji industrialized, the Meiji Restoration industrialized quite heavily, but like there's parts of Japan that were really untouched by it. So people were like doing traditional fishing and, and farming and and, and and laboring activities and clothes making like that were like the equivalent of like how it was done like a thousand years before still in that book and it's just an incredible read about how tough people were and all they did to survive um and stuff like that i love memories of silicon straw it's probably my favorite book right but again he's focused on just like what it was like back in the day not about the intergenerational relationships but the very day-to-day experience like what did you eat how did you get your food what type of work did you do what was the work like um and 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 that's pretty cool but he could have brought it in different directions from there so just clarifying that that's what it's about um it's like a feeling it's like you know a nostalgia and understanding and such goes a long way all right so you know a lot of times when i see people struggling to, to try to make a piece of writing good it's not clear whether they know what ideas they want to get across which i call the content and are struggling to say them mechanically or they're unclear on what ideas they want to get across the content itself and i think you separate that and also by the way i think mainstream writing is of no help here since most of it is completely con- contentless noise you really have to look at excellent works um to learn this right so so be careful i wouldn't flip open a newspaper and there's like nothing in there right um okay finally covered last here but actually the most important is the audience who are they what do they already know what do they care about right in the ideal world, I never start a piece before clarifying who the audience is, right? Um, there's two ways to do it. There's the hard, complex, laborious way, um, and there's the easy and maybe even arguably more effective way. Here's the hard way first. You can sit down, and I think this is probably very common in, in marketing, so if you want to search for this, probably marketing checklists are, are probably where to start looking. And you could say, hey, who is reading my thing, right? And you can ask, what type of cognition do they have? Do they really like fast process ideas or do they sit and think about them really slowly and are they very verbal or more mechanical and systems thinking, right? What's their personality type? Is this person introvert? Are they an extrovert? How much stress they carry around, stuff like that. What stuff do they really like? What stuff do they really hate? What sports do they play? What video games uh, do they play? What topic did they maybe study in university? Um, you know, what's their country of origin? What's their favorite city in the world? What's their native language? Are they more analytical or more intuitive? And so on and so on and so on. You can just fill out all kinds of checklists about the person. And I think that's potentially worthwhile, right? A lot of bad writing is unclear who the audience is, right? So for any given audience, there's like a, a technical term, like in finance, compound interest, discounted cash flow analysis. You can either use that without explanation or you need to patiently explain it. And it's like one of the two. Right, probably. And a lot of times a piece is like not clear. Is this for like veterans in the field or is this for beginners? And it's for beginners, write a beginner piece and say right up the top, this is for beginners to the field to learn XYZ. Um, And if it's for veterans, hey, this is for veterans and we're not going to stop and explain things. You know, one thing I really admire about the the podcaster, uh, Peter Atia, who's a medical doctor, is he just goes right into it all kinds of medical terms and like does not stop and explain them. He's like, oh, and blah, 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 ATP, blah, 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 thermogenesis, blah, blah, blah. If you don't know what ATP is, you know what thermogenesis is, you can look it up. He's, he's creating for very technical, scientific and, 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 and medical, uh, medically literate audience and doesn't stop and explain things. He just assumes you know, and if you don't know, look it up. Um, and that's cool. And a lot of uh, writers and, and producers of other forms of media don't do that they don't say is this very technical or is it not very technical and thus it's not explained enough to make somebody that's a beginner understand and it's not moving fast enough and insightful enough for somebody that's a veteran 
right? So you really want to clarify that. So again, you can do all kinds of checklists and templates and really clarify and like what level of study do they have and how much they know about all these different stuff. Or you can do it the easy way, which I think is just about as more effective, um, which is just think about one person and write to them. Like seriously, you just pick one person, you know, your friend Jack, and be like, hey Jack, I'm going to tell you what I know about this topic. So Jack, uh, there's a very interesting lesson that we can learn from how the railroads were built, and I think it would apply to your business and it'd be very interesting for you. So the way they built railroads, Jack, da 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 da. And you just write to Jack's level of understanding, connect it to Jack's profession, make it interesting for Jack. Assume that Jack knows what Jack knows and Jack doesn't know what Jack knows. What'll happen there is anyone that's like Jack, but then like a standard deviation on either side is gonna just love the piece. So that's the fast way to do it, is to really just imagine one person write as if you're writing to them. All right? All right. So the actual order I do it is the opposite order I went in. I went from the grounded to the more abstract, right? But the actual order I do it is ACM. And I usually use this as like a troubleshooting technique or a teaching technique. So I don't always do it when I'm writing. I think about it a little differently when I'm sitting down. But when I'm troubleshooting what's wrong with this piece, especially, and sometimes when I'm teaching it, ACM. So if like you write a piece and it's like not very good and you want to make it better, A, audience, do I know who I'm writing to? Do I have either a breakdown of all their psychological characteristics and likes and dislikes and loves and hates and education levels and languages they speak and where they've been and what they do? Or do I have just one person in mind, which is the easy way to do it and the recommended way of doing it, right? So do you have the audience? Second, do you have the content? Do you know what ideas you're trying to get across? I know this like this sounds dumb, but like please think about it. A lot of times when someone's like, I don't know how to say this well, this writing's not very good. It's because they actually don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're trying to get across. So you need to have ideas that you wanna share that are useful to the audience before you like do beautiful writing. Beautiful writing without any underlying ideas is it's okay, I guess, maybe, um, but it's not great, right? And then finally is the mechanics. The mechanics are the easiest part to learn. It's the part that intimidates people the most, but it's the easiest part of it. Um, there's a lot of great, great things on mechanics. I'll link up Longinus and Orwell Orwell's essay, um, as well as uh, Provost's quote, which is a really fun one to read. Um, and also link uh, Memories of Silk and Straw. So those will be in the um, in the description of this on whatever your podcast player is. So, so by all means, check those out. Um, and then yeah, ACM, Audience Content Mechanics, both a way to learn good writing and to troubleshoot a piece of writing after you've written it if, you're, if you want it to be better. So as always, thank you for listening. For the people out there that are going to be doing some writing, be well. And of course, uh, podcast at ultraworking.com if you try any of this out and if it works for you. Or if you have any other resources you'd like to recommend, if you like the similar stuff that we like, uh, we want to hear from you. So podcast at ultraworking.com. Shoot a line. Thanks for listening. Be well.